You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show, Friday, January the 14th. Beautiful morning here in TW11, not a cloud in the sky, but it did get cold last night. Certainly colder than officials were expecting at either Kempton or Warwick. And there just could be a few jitters as regards the viability of those fixtures for tomorrow. But more details a little later in the programme. We got down to minus four at Kempton and that was a significantly colder than they were expecting. Warwick not quite so cold and they're expecting it to warm up overnight tomorrow that won't really bother you if you're looking forward to the big races abroad over the next few weeks i'm thinking the pegasus in florida the saudi cup the dubai world cup and it's with those races in mind and the and the big high profile participants in them that we'll be viewing the global rankings with james willoughby a little bit later in the program and i'll be reprising the top 16 world flat horses at the moment also in the show be talking to multiple champion jockey peter skudamore now of course partner and assistant to trainer lucinda russell about his love affair with the horse that is likely to start favorite for tomorrow's classic chase at warwick but cornelius lysett joins me today and cornelius first of all uh, news uh, courtesy of a story in the daily mail also followed up in the racing post today uh, that cheltenham was still without a sponsor uh, for the gold cup just uh, put some meat on the bones for me yeah it's uh, friday the 14th of january and uh, the festival starts on tuesday uh, the 15th of march time is ticking away as far as the the centerpiece of the festival is concerned and getting a sponsor there there isn't a sponsor uh, for the gold cup at the moment the headline in the daily mail today uh, over an article by matt hughes and the racing correspondent marcus townend jockey club executives jockey club owners of cheltenham uh, still still in capital letters, still hunting for a Gold Cup sponsor, says the festival's reputation is in tatters over claims of it being a super spreader uh, in 2020. I think senior figures in the Jockey Club were indicating there would be some good news on finding a sponsor very early in the new year, perhaps this early in 2022. And uh, it seems, according to uh, the Mail, they say uh, the Mail says that um, financial services company Brown Advisory has walked away from a proposed deal. Brown Advisory already a good a good supporter of uh, of Cheltenham and of horse racing. They were hoping for a high profile consumer brand. Brown Advisory, good financial services company, I'm sure, clearly doesn't fall into the consumer brand uh, category. Uh, but they were hoping to land somebody, those jockey club officials. They haven't quite uh, pulled it off. However, they will point out that there are, are still two months to go and these things can be fast moving. Well, Cornelius, one of the reasons why we're in this situation is that Magnus, who were the sponsor, pulled out after the 2020 festival and didn't uh, complete their contract. There's still legal action going on between the Jockey Club and Magnus over that. Magnus saying that you know, reputationally they were damaged by the Cheltenham Festival going ahead in 2020. It shouldn't have gone ahead. And the Jockey Club saying they were simply following government guidelines at the time. Yeah, we've heard that a few times over the last few days, haven't we? Either way... Do you subscribe to the notion, as in the Mail's headline here, that with it, Cheltenham, because of that uh, 2020 festival, still has with it some kind of toxicity as regards getting a new a new sponsor or new commercial partners? The, the reputation of Cheltenham, in my view, unfairly, and everyone has a view on this, 
uh, took a tremendous battering at the time when it was the one of the last high-profile events, uh, sporting events, to take place ahead of the pandemic. And it was convenient dash lazy shorthand for some in the media to continually reference Cheltenham, despite the fact that there were many football fans in Merseyside in the city of Liverpool uh, just days before the pandemic who'd come from Spain, uh, despite other uh, major sporting events taking place, rugby union, and despite concerts taking place. But somehow uh, the the image in people's minds, and it was uh, stoked by a photograph uh, where a lot of people were pretty close together with the Cheltenham grandstand uh, impressively behind plenty of the media, decided uh, that uh, Cheltenham should get a mention at every uh, at every turn. I don't think its reputation is in tatters. Mm. However, talking to people who are in the sponsorship marketing arena, talking to somebody the other day, I said, you know, does it still play in people's minds as you're trying to uh, find sponsors for this type of event? And the answer was 100%. So pe- people are aware of it, do think of it. But to say the festival's reputation in tatters, I think, is uh, is going uh, a little bit over the top. And if you actually, if anyone looks underneath, and I, I suppose anyone could accuse me of bias here, anyone looks under the surface of how uh, Cheltenham and, uh, from a wider point of view, how horse racing has dealt with COVID, on the whole, I think it's done as good, if not better, a job than many other walks of life. I mean, and I suppose if, if the brand of the festival was as, as toxic as is as being suggested, then Cheltenham wouldn't have uh, those deals that have stood in place with those big brands, Bentley and Boodles and JCB and, and Holland Cooper. Um, they're not perhaps as a, as a four-day event quite as, as completely reliant on, on bookmaker sponsorship, even though clearly you've got deals with Coral and uh, Betway and Paddy Power and and I suppose one indicator, Cornelius, is how many new sponsors have been accrued since that 2020 festival. A few, not perhaps those great consumer brands that you'd really want necessarily, but still important and, and financially robust brands like JOL Group and McCoy and, and Turner's, who are a, a new transport company sponsoring for this year. Uh, uh, absolutely. Just a, a point on the, on, the, on the bookmaking side of things, you know, what you've just said is correct. However, it is the Unibet champion hurdle, the Betway Queen Mother champion chase, the Paddy Power mm-hmm. uh, stayers hurdle alongside the Ryanair chase on the third day. So the reliance on bookmakers is is definitely there. And it is said that the jockey club, if it could wave a magic wand, would love um, not to have um, uh, betting brands in quite such a prominent position. But as we know, betting brands and horse racing do whatever people say and think and desire the fact is they do go hand in hand so inevitably they want to support those type of races Uh, having said that when it comes to the gold cup if they could find uh, a brand that could be um, similar to magnus for example which used to sponsor the race and did go after the pandemic or john smith's in relation to uh, the grand national that type and you know john smith's in other sponsorships as well that type of high street consumer brand those type of brands though at the moment probably uh, as the the pandemic you know eases down perhaps but but memories stay reasonably clear of this whole period over the last couple of years for the time time being they're probably keeping their their powder dry and perhaps the final point to note Cornelius and notwithstanding covid's impact either in and of itself or or because of the the reputation post 2020 is that you could get a, a Cheltenham gold cup sponsor tomorrow 
if you took the price down enough. And that's the key. Wouldn't you be better off just having no sponsor at all and maintaining what you believe is the value of your event? Because if you if you take it down too low and just take the first offer, then what does that say about your confidence in it in, in perpetuity? You know, this is your, your crown jewel race of the most commercially successful enterprise that the Jockey Club runs. Um, you, you've got surely to, to, to keep a value on that. And that's why uh, getting Wellchild involved in 2021 was, was such a, a fabulous decision, really. Uh, it supported uh, a charity that uh, is uh, very supportable, much, much admired, much loved, uh, much admired for its work as well. It got it involved. It didn't pretend that Wellchild were giving tens of thousands of pounds, quite the opposite. Uh, but the the fact is that the Gold Cup could do some good for a really wealth a worthwhile charity. Wellchild is not expected at this stage to have its name attached to the Gold Cup this year, but will continue to be uh, involved at the festival one way or another. So, you know, you, you've got to be realistic about these things, haven't they? Uh, haven't you? Uh, the 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 fact is that it isn't that straightforward at the moment. You know, I was listening to an interview on the Today programme on BBC Radio 4, the flagship news programme on the radio, uh, within the last two or three weeks. And a discussion was underway uh, about uh, the start of the pandemic. And the interviewer mentioned Cheltenham straight away uh, and didn't mention football in Liverpool, didn't mention other rugby events, didn't mention concerts. Let's hope that uh, Cheltenham will be left alone and used less as that type of abbreviation for uh, the, the difference um, between uh, normal life in in the spring of uh, 2020 and then how the the storm of um, of COVID uh, hit everybody uh, straight afterwards. All right. Well, Jockey Club taking centre stage tomorrow because they race at Warwick and at Kempton Park. We hope weather's bowled a bit of a googly. Got much colder than expected at Kempton last night. Clark of the course, Barney Clifford said it took him slightly by surprise relative to the forecast. He said he'd have a walk at midday today, then make a decision about when to inspect. The takeoffs and landings have been covered, as they have been, plus all the vulnerable areas at Warwick, where Tom Ryle, the clerk of the course there, seems pretty hopeful. He says it's not going to get down as cold tonight as it did last night at Warwick. And he said, although it would be just about get away with racing today, the forecast temperatures are set to rise Saturday morning. So cautious optimism provided the forecast is correct. The big race at Warwick is the classic chase. We spoke a little yesterday about Korak Rambler, who's trained by Lucinda Russell. Uh, Maddie Playle, our friend and colleague, she reported in the Racing Post today, Lucinda Russell, as saying that her partner Peter Scudamore and Korak Rambler were like partners in crime. They go everywhere together. Um, Peter Scudamore, what are we supposed to understand from that? Well, I don't know. They're, they're belittling Corrick and I uh, said we go off and do our own thing and upset the string and stuff. I think it's we, we we're leading the way. We're leading the way. We always feel, but anyway, no. He, he look. He we bought him at the Yorton sale. It was just one of those lucky things. Um, he's a beautiful horse, and um, look, he's done us proud. He's won at um, Aintree and Cheltenham. You know, to get any, you know, for, for a small club to do that is fantastic. I loved your story on the, the TVs the other day when you were when Carl Gray had you know he hadn't had winners for years and he had two winners in a week and that lovely grey horse beat one of JPs you know and and, and to me that's what National Hunt Racing is about and uh, this is what Corrick's about. He's you know he's not bred in the pink. He's come he got beaten his point of points a few times and then won one and um, you know he's just a tough old horse. Um, He's got 11-12 tomorrow. It's always difficult, I feel, high weights in these long-distance chases. But the, 
I think is there could be improvement. Although he's actually not bred to get uh, uh, the sister of his dam, if that makes sense, one over three mile. He's actually related to to native upmanship with a two and a half mile horse. So he's not necessarily certain on breeding to get um, the distance. But his his attitude, which we were laughing about a second ago, suggests that he will get the, the distance. He may, he's just dead relaxed, you know. I mean, do you you still love to ride? You still love to get a feel of all these all these horses. I pompously used to stand on the gallops with my owners, and they would say, "Why don't you ride?" And I said, "Oh, I learned so much more by stood on the gallop and watching them." But I don't, you know. I learned so much more by riding them. I lost a bit of weight two years ago, and I started riding again. And honestly, I, I, I've it. John Frankham always said, you know, uh, what fun he has riding now. Um, the Clive Coxes and, um, and and I get it now it, it, it really has given my life an impetus if you like and I, I love doing it I have to be a little bit careful you know I can't get on and off like I used to but I feel once I'm on I'm you know ride pretty much the same as I ever do and um, you know without being too arrogant and stuff I think because I'm relaxed and I was riding a longer range pushing forward I think something like Cora um, for instance quite enjoys that and, and, and uh, gives them a it keeps them happy you know obviously if they're slightly happy they're going to do better for you so yes i do learn an awful lot from it um, whether they hang and uh, you know for instance korak tomorrow i've been riding him and he's hanging and you know he does that funny thing with his head i changed his bit you know I mean, how stupid one well, you might not have done that on the ground and i've i felt that he's got a double link bit through there that he didn't set um his mouth on the one side we'll see if that happens tomorrow you know Oh, you won the race with one for Arthur, who went on to win the Grand National in the same season. I mean, obviously, there are going to be inevitable comparisons. Are they realistic comparisons? I don't. I, I, it's very hard, I think, whenever you compare these horses. But actually, I suppose they're not that dissimilar. They're same, same shape. Um, I mean, poor old Carrick's got more weight than Arthur, which seems uh, seems a, a difficult thing to. Um, for him to, to burden, but we'll see. I, I, you know, I can't see that he's a better horse than um, Arthur, but you, you never know, you know, what the standard of the race is, you know. So we will see. Uh, we had Jamie Duff on the show yesterday. We were talking about Big River, who won Great British Racing's Horse of the Month this month. He's off to Kelso again on on Sunday. His beloved Kelso, and he, she said that you'd said he might be getting better at the age of twelve. Yeah, I, I, he's had issues. You know, he, he hasn't always, um, he's had issues with his heart. He's had issues with his movement. And for some reason, um, this this time, he, he's moving better than ever. Um, again, I was, look, the, the voting, there was a lot of votes for him to win the award that he won from uh, Scotland. There's probably only about 100 votes and 55 of them came from Scotland. So um, to put him above... The, the Welsh national winner and Shishkin is, 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 you know, a little bit tongue in cheek, but he, again, he is one of those great national hunt horses. He's been around a long time. Um, you know, he's, he's done well at Kelso. So it, it sort of resonates with the national hunt people, doesn't it? So, um, I was actually, if you said to me, I would have run him in the classic case at Warwick tomorrow, but I can, I couldn't argue with his record rounds, uh, Kelso and, and, and Debs, who owned one for Arthur, loves Kelso. And, and, and I think that was the reason she came down in favour of, uh, of Kelso. But, um, you know, he, he does need an extreme distance of, uh, 
for stamina now. But he doesn't always jump as well around some of the bigger tracks. So Kelso suits, you know, he's not he's not the biggest horse and he jumps better around Kelso than elsewhere. So look, he'll go there with every chance and he'll be well supported by the wonderful Kelso crowd. If anybody can ever get to Kelso and get down to the tin shed and have a drink with the uh, Kelso farmers and rugby players, it's well worth doing. Peter Skudamore there. What do you think of Corrick Rambler's chances tomorrow, Cornelius, in the in the classic chase at Warwick and indeed the, the race as a whole? Quite bold, isn't it? I know they absolutely adore Corrick Rambler and they adore his prospects for, for the future, but it's only his fourth steeplechase and he's got a big weight, um, including um, Derek Fox riding, big weight, 11 stone 12, I think it is, in a, a really testing race like that. Um, if, if, even if the conditions aren't as bottomless as they are some years. The fact is, it's a marathon event. And you've got other horses in there like last year's winner, not a, a chance, and last year's runner-up, Achille. So I, 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 think, it, I think that's quite a challenge for uh, Corret Rambler. OK, let's uh, just have a quick word on, on Kempton. Anything take your fancy there? Yeah, I'll tell you what. It's a couple of things take my fancy at, uh, in the Lanzarote hurdle. Uh, one is I'm just really, I love it when a trainer, I don't want to just go on and sound like the Venetia Williams fan club, but when mm-hmm. a trainer uh, is such a good reader of the handicap and user, and this is the crucial part, user of the £10 claim, um, which uh, Venetia Williams is very, very shrewd with the £10 claim, which is given to uh, riders, I think it's less than five winners, isn't it, that when riding for their own stable. And Ned Fox rides a horse who claims 10 uh, for Venetia, works for her, uh, claims £10 off the back of Green Book, a horse trained by uh, the South Herefordshire Wizard that's won at Haydock and Ludlow. And so Green Book, to me, is a really interesting contender in that Lanzarote hurdle. And the other really interesting contender in the Lanzarote hurdle is Don Levant, trained by Evan Williams. Evan Williams who had another decent winner uh, yesterday at Sedgefield, um, won a, a valuable and prestigious race at um, uh, Sedgefield yesterday afternoon, uh, the um, North Yorkshire Grand National with Supreme Escape, uh, ridden by James Bowen, odds of five to one. And he's been in such good form uh, of late with um, with that horse yesterday, with Prime Venture, with Cool Coodie, with Ansam, and with Dawn Lavore as well. And Don Levant, ridden by his uh, daughter, Izzy, is uh, an interesting uh, contender for that race. So the Dubai World Cup Carnival begins at Maidan today. The 5.30 race of British time is the Dubai Dash, presented by the Palm Fountain. One of the intriguing runners here represents the banging for Mick Appleby stable. Uh, that's King of Stars, who's owned by Bill Esdale, and Bill joins me now. Uh, Bill, this is a, a bit of a dream, isn't it, for uh, an owner of just one or two horses to, to head out to Dubai and, and try and make a big big splash in the desert? Yeah, just the one horse. <laughs> and it's a big jump up from this time last year when we were running at Subtle. No disrespect to Subtle, but you know, he's gone up nearly £30, pounds, so it's an absolute dream to come true. It's extraordinary. I mean, could you ever have imagined when you bought the horse, and he wasn't cheap, cheap, but he was 38000 it's not a, not a fortune, that you'd be on a journey like this? Well, Mick was so keen on him. He, he was kind of twisting my arm and... He felt that he was the real deal, and and he's such a remarkable trainer that I that I, I hoped we'd have days like this, but never really kind of felt that it had come true. But it's extraordinary. I wish I was out there. And so, wh- how come you're not? 
Um, well, just works busy, and he's going to be out there for three months. Um, you know, the best part of or two months. So there are other opportunities to to go. And and, and this race, I was saying to you before, he's 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 only been out there kind of less than a week, and he's hopefully acclimatized. Mick said he was a bit picky with his food for the first couple of days. Um, but has has lapped it up since, and it seems really kind of happy and content within himself. Uh, whether the first race is is going to be his best race, I don't know. But I think he's going to run really well. He's certainly not out of it on on ratings. Rating of one hundred and four, he's comparable to the majority of the field. And how how does he look in himself? How how is he in terms of his well being? He, he looks terrific. I mean, he looks terrific. I mean, he had a prep race. I mean, a lot of people be put off by the prep run at Newcastle, but there was nowhere else for him to run just before. I mean, he literally ran on the Sunday and then got on a plane to Dubai on the on on the Wednesday. But you know, you have a horse rated 104 on these shores at this time of year. There's there's nowhere to prep him, and Newcastle isn't a speed track. And his two worst runs for us have been at Newcastle, uh, so he definitely won't be going back there. And you know, he's he's it hopefully would have put him put him spot on for for a tilt at this. I mean, he's been ridden by Sylvester Souza's ridden him, um, Ali Rawlinson, who I must must mention, who's who's a couple couple of weeks away from coming back. It's been amazing just in kind of terms of the work that he's done on, on with the horse. But all the all the jockeys that, that uh, Ben Curtis, they, they've all thought the world of him when they've sat at him and they've all been surprised. Even when he bombed out at Goodwood. James Doyle couldn't believe the speed he shows. And the dream track was to go to Maidan over five furlongs because, you know, on quick ground, as long as they haven't watered too much, he should massively outrun his price, hopefully, at 25 to 1. So he is just raw, brazen pace. You you know how he's going to be ridden. You know what the instructions to Ray Dawson are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he'll, he'll hopefully, if you can, try and get a lead and then, you know, give him a breather and then go again. He's very, he's very kind of simple old-fashioned old sprinter. I, th- I think the challenge is this, the f- this is his first step out of kind of handicap company. So, you know, you always hope that they'll make the progress right the way through the ranks, get rated 100 plus and then jump into listed and group race company. Um, the plan is to go to the group two uh, at Maidan in six weeks. Um, so, you know, we want to keep climbing the ladder. Um, so hopefully he won't disappoint today. Owner Bill Esdale there. Good luck to him in Dubai this afternoon. Now, continuing our look at international racing, it is Friday. Therefore, we take stock of the global rankings with Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. James Willoughby along very shortly. I'm going to give you, for reasons that will become obvious in a minute, the top 16 horses as they stand on those TRC rankings. 16, sadly, no longer with us. First past the post in the Kentucky Derby, Medina Spirit. At 15, Space Blues off to stud now off the back of his Breeders' Cup mile win. 14 is Life is Good, bound for the peg in two weeks' time at Gulfstream Park. 13, Zaki. Positive bulletin about him on yesterday's pod from Australian-based trainer Annabelle Neesham. 12 is Mishrif, limbering up to become the winning most money earner of all time in the Saudi Cup. 11 is the Belmont Stakes and Travis Stakes winner Essential Quality, now off to stud in America. 10 is Very Elegant, the star Australian mayor winner of the Melbourne Cup. 9 is Contrail, the 2020 Japanese Triple Crown winner. 8 is Baid, set for a good season in the Shadwell Silks next year for William Haggis. Seven is the Hong Kong champion and multiple graded stakes winner Golden 60. Six is Nature Strip, the brilliant Australian sprinter who could be bound for Royal Ascot and more in Europe next year for trainer Chris Waller. Five is the now retired Palace Pier who held the number one spot for so long. Four is Euphoria, the Japanese horse of the year. Three, fellow compatriot Gran Allegria. Two, St. Mark's Basilica off to stud at Coolmore. And number one, and likely to be the American horse of the year, no offers there 
there. Nick's go. James Willoughby is with me. This could have a very fluid look to it over the next few weeks with all these international goodies just around the corner, James. Indeed, Nick. Yeah, uh, this is an interesting point that for the global horse racing fan, this is a 365 day a year business, not necessarily for the fan with a parochial outlook, say, for example, in Britain and Ireland, who might well be oriented towards jumping. Uh, and for that reason, must point out that horses remain in our rankings for 100 days after their last run. So if they don't run again uh, within that period, they are with, they are removed. And that's a fitting tribute to horses like the sadly deceased Medina Spray. We shouldn't just forget his exploits. Uh, and those indi- horses retired to stud. And it's important to keep the, the horses in the rankings for a period after their last run, even after they retired, to give the rankings ballast. Because otherwise, if you had suddenly a whole slew of retirements, you might have a false number one. And so... Nick's go right at the top of this list fully deserves uh, his place as the world's top horse, in my opinion, on dirt. Although in a recent um, sort of awards uh, thing we did, we split the our own Horse of the Year award between dirt and turf, awarding the turf version to St. Mark's Basilica after his five uh, Group 1 wins. Let's try and highlight some of these big international races that are coming up and see what impact they might have on these rankings. I mean, the key clash is between the number one, Nick's go, and the current number 14, Life is Good. But within that 14 is a bucket load of potential, James. Yeah, that's right. So let's talk about how horses move around the rankings and how you can apply that, even if you're not a global racing fan, to things like jump racing, if that's what you're interested in. Now, Mathematically, this is an optimization exercise, so it's all down to a computer. Computer does everything, and the computer's interested in picking winners in future clashes. So the computer does something that a lot of handicappers don't do, which it takes into account uncertainty around a horse's rankings. Now, what do I mean by uncertainty? Well, if a horse puts up one massive performance, then we might rate it 130, say, but we might have quite an error Underneath that, we might say, well, perhaps everything was, uh, the computer might reason that that maybe we just saw one snapshot of it in a very flattering way. And so we'll keep in mind that its true talent could well be like 123, 124. And there are horses that come around like that. Now, a good example is Adayar, who we have a very different way of rating to what you'll see when the international classifications, as was the world's best racehorse ratings now come out, where Adayar is rated on his best form in the King George and the Derby. But think about his other performances. Now, to our system, and because it's a predictive system, the fact that he was beaten afterwards and looked nothing like the same horse before either creates a great deal of uncertainty over Adeo's true talent. Did he get a great ride in the derby in the King George? Was he at his peak at Ascot where Mishrif didn't stay uh, and the rest of the horses in that race didn't really fire? So that's an important concept. And this brings me around to your question, life is good. So this idea of uncertainty can work the other way around as well. So when a horse like Life is Good hasn't got many performances and they're absolutely stellar, yes, it's possible that he won't go on to show he's quite as good as he looked because of that concept of uncertainty. But there's upside as well, considerable upside to his performances, to his rating, his true talent, if you will. He's had five starts in group races. He's won four of them very impressively as well. And that means that one more performance will have a radical effect on his standing. He currently sits at number 14. He's got a performance index of 1927. Top of the shop, Nick's goes 2131. That's not an exercise in playing with numbers, 
those numbers are directly related to a horse's probability of beating each other in a future encounter. And it's easy for us to simulate that if life is good were to go on and beat Nick's go, then he might well even depose him as world number one. It is possible because of the fact that life is good has got that huge upside. Let's talk about Mishriff, who everyone loves, James. He's been in, out, in, out, in, out of the top 10. In this uh, bizarre global hokey-cokey that he's been playing, he now finds himself at number 12, though people might assume that he ought to be a little higher than that based on his, his Judmont International victory. Yeah, this is exactly another great example of what I'm talking about. Mishra's uh, um, international win at York is a solo performance, absolutely tremendous. Won easily. What did he beat exactly? Was there a, a degree to which he peaked when others perhaps weren't quite at their best because of the conditions or indeed just their form cycle? And we have him as low as number 12, really, which is a real minimum number for him. He's been right up there. I think he's been two or three, hasn't he, at some point mm. in the in the, dim, in, in the quite recent past. But if you compare his record now, he's got five wins from 10 starts. Compare that to St. Mark's Basilica, five wins from seven starts, or a horse like the Japanese great Euphoria, horse of the years, you mentioned four from five. Those horses have got performances which are clustered around their best efforts. In other words, they've got upside still. It's it, For Mishriff, he's got horse rate of performances that are well below that peak I referred to at York. And so there's a great deal of uncertainty about exactly how good Mishriff is. It's so, all very well pointing to his best performance at York and saying that's rock solid. But the facts are that on many other occasions, he just doesn't reproduce that. So the, the computer thinks that, that Mishriff's performance at York, and until proven otherwise, is a bit of an aberration because there are not performances close enough to it on on its ratings to really give his rate his ranking the ballast that that the York performance would suggest it ought to have. Yeah. Now our computer race ratings rated that performance one twenty eight on the same scale as the world's best racehorse ratings. He has a one twenty six in the Saudi Cup as well from last year, but that in itself is is quite dubious as well. The race was Nick's go was well below his best on that occasion in fourth. And if below that form, we've got Mishriff on 123 for his jockey club win as a three-year-old, and then his Shima Classic win in a tight finish, albeit over some good horses, two very good horses from Japan, 122. So his kind of modal performance, that is his most frequent performance, is around that of a 123, 122 horse. But he's got that John Monte International, which suggests he's a good deal better than that. And there are other indicators about him as well. To my mind... He's not actually a brilliant horse in the true sense of that word. He's a very, very good one indeed, who has that one brilliant performance, if you know what I mean. So it would be quite interesting to see him do it again impressively uh, um, in Saudi, if, if, if that turns out to be his fate, or later on in the season, just to confirm where exactly he stands. Couple of things. First of all, the Japanese horse of the year. Euphoria is at four, Gran Allegria finished up at three. Should Euphoria have beaten Gran Allegria in the Japanese horse of the year? Uh, yes, because the performances of Euphoria, which are just in 2021, were better than Gran Allegra because we're rating okay. horses on their career CVs here. And Euphoria was a truly deserving horse. Now, what I might argue with is the Japanese mare of the year, the female, the distaffer of the year, was given to Love's Only You, who, fair enough, had won three group ones to Gran Allegra's two. But to my mind, Gran Allegra is a much better racehorse uh, over the course of her career than 
than loves only you. So there are these differences in the horses' accomplishments, which tend to land them horses of the year titles, and their true talent allied to that accomplishment, which somehow sometimes results in in differences of opinion. But that's great. That's what makes the game tick. Well, if you're going to give it to a Japanese horse on the basis of accomplishment, sort of an extra mural accomplishment. They probably should have given it to Marsh Lorraine, really. But anyway, there you are. That's another yes. That's another argument altogether. She will go to the, the Saudi Cup as well, along with Life is Good, along with um, Life is Good potentially and Mandaloon, almost certainly and definitely Mishrif and probably Piledriver and Seal Away and any number of others. It's, it's a hell of a race. Wanted to talk about the Eclipse Award for three-year-old Colt, James. It's been very controversial. I mean, should or shouldn't Medina Spirit win based on the, the history of Baffert's infractions? this year and the continuing legal action and, and so forth. The rankings tell us Medina Spirit 16, Life is Good 14, Essential Quality 11, Hot Rod Charlie way down at, at 2022, even though ratings, there's a cigarette paper between them all. Should I have just voted for Essential Quality then? Yeah, you definitely should have done. This This to me is a fairly easy one. Eclipse Award voters over the years have been some of the craziest uh, awards given out, mostly because they're heavily biased towards the end of the season and the Breeders' Cup. There's a sort of kind of endemic belief that the Breeders' Cup obviously tells you exactly how a good a horse is compared to earlier exploits horse, which seem to count for nothing on some occasions. Essential quality, clearly the best three-year-old on the balance of his form overall. Um, his performance has won 27 from us in the Belmont, which in which he narrowly won in a tremendously fast time. And then his Travers win was equally good. He was below his best, probably when third in the Breeders' Cup Classic. I accept that, but he's, but overall, I think he was the best three-year-old that ran around clearly. So even though people will say, "Well, hang on a minute," Medina Spirit ran against him in the Derby and against him in the in the Breeders' Cup Classic, and he beat him on the square both times. Yeah, obviously there, but on both occasions there are reasons to believe he was below his best, and that you know that around it's easier to see in the Kentucky Derby that he would have beaten Medina Spirit easily if he'd not covered as much ground as he did. Medina Spirit got an absolute dream trip around the outside. And then in the Breeders' Cup Classic, it's easy to see that he was trapped on the inside, never really got going. We don't rate horses on the, on on just two efforts or pick efforts in which they met other horses head-to-head. Whilst that's a very important indicator of their respective merits and drives TRC Global Rankings to a large extent, it's the bigger picture that counts. It's the number of times a horse does it overall and it's how consistent they are. Medina Spirit won three group races from eight tries Essential quality won seven from nine. It's absolutely absurd, if you ask me. Uh, and a footnote this week, though an important footnote, is that Flavian Pratt has uh, chiselled his way right up to number two in the jockey yeah. rankings. Right. I mean, this is something that you're quite well qualified to to speak about, your experience of American racing. Yeah, he's been a, a, a real sort of riser in the last um, sort of 12 months. And But we've seen how, how good he is on, on, on horses like um, domestic spending, Flight line has now got a, a horse that can really carry him to the top. That horse, Ron Bowery, won the Preakness on Hot Rod Charlie. He, he had uh, five big wins on, I think, overall. He, he's let absolutely nobody down, has he? Uh, whenever he's been called on in big races. And, um, yeah, he's rightly ascended to a, a second position behind James McDonald, knocking Frankie Dettori down a further spot. My particular vote for number, my, my personal vote for the eventual world number one at the end of next year, 2022, is not James McDonald, brilliant though he is, but is world number four, William Buick, who's the biggest riser on these rankings. And I cannot see any trainer stopping Charlie Appleby and William Buick. He's just too good, Appleby. 
James, thanks so much. And thanks to Bill and Skew earlier in the show as well. Cornelius is still with me and has a tip for you. Yeah, here's an expression I don't say very often. I'm going to go to Dundalk. Have you, ever um, been to, have you ever been to Dundalk? I've been to the town of Dundalk. I visited the radio station in Dundalk, but I've never been racing there. And our mutual friend, Fran Berry, um, very d- distinguished uh, ex-jockey, now pundit, uh, is always saying, you know, wrap up warm, but, uh, you know, you it's a really enjoyable uh, evening at Dundalk. And, um, in fact, it's the late afternoon uh, uh, where I'm at Dundalk today in County Louth. Ireland, uh, 3.45, the time of the race. And there is a horse in there called First Blood, trained by Joseph O'Brien. And there are a number of reasons for liking First Blood in this race. Right up in distance to two miles, uh, ran well over an inadequate mile and a quarter at Sligo in August. So that was the last time that First Blood ran. uh, ran. But the other interesting thing is this horse is due to be sold as part of of the Thoroughbid all-weather sale on Sunday afternoon. That's uh, Thoroughbid, the uh, online uh, sales it's staging. The latest ones are on uh, Sunday, and there's an all-weather sale, and uh, First Blood is due to be sold there. So presumably the shrewdy Joseph O'Brien is not anticipating uh, a run that would um, would negatively affect the selling possibilities of First Blood in, at Thoroughbid on Sunday. Cornelius, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening as well. Charlotte will be back tonight with a Saturday edition that's uploaded from nine o'clock and I'll be back with you on Monday morning. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.